Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Bibles to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Isaiah chapter 53, I'm going to be reading in the Amplified Classic Edition, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah says, Who has believed, trusted in, relied upon, and clung to our message of that which was revealed to us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been disclosed? For the servant of God grew up before him like a tender plant and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, royal kingly pomp, that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, there wasn't anything special about him. He was pretty ordinary and plain looking. As a matter of fact, Hollywood wouldn't give him a second look if they were around. He was despised and rejected, forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and pains and acquainted with grief and sickness. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem, respect, or admiration for him. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted of God as if with leprosy. As if with leprosy. Isaiah reminds, of course, that's Isaiah talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus. And he reminds us how Jesus was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He knew what pain was. And he was someone that uh, people turned away from. He was despised. And even his own people, you and I, didn't value him. And if it's not like that in today's culture, in, today, in this country today, I don't know what is. And yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. He was stricken and afflicted and rejected and struck down by God in our place. But we, in turn, regarded him as though God was punishing him for something he did. That's what Isaiah is telling us. And we should have been praising him and thanking him and appreciating him and admiring him for everything that he suffered for us. But we didn't. Instead, we despised and rejected him. We forsook him. We blamed him for his pain and suffering when we were to blame And then we treated him as though he had leprosy. And I want to talk to you this morning about rejection and the effects of it. And first of all, I believe that rejection is one of the most painful emotions that we will ever have to endure. I also believe that there's not one person in this room right now that hasn't experienced rejection on one level or another at some time in their life, you may be even feeling it and, and uh, experiencing it right now. Rejection is a terrible thing. You know, we've been rejected by different groups, organizations, clubs, schools, sororities, fraternities, and cliques. 
And you may have been rejected by your classmates, your friends, your co-workers, your boss on the job, family members, maybe even your children or your spouse. You've been rejected for jobs, promotions, opportunities, and all kinds of other things. The list can go on and on. And rejection makes you feel unworthy, makes you feel like you're never good enough, never measure up. It depresses you, discourages you, and it, it can keep you from becoming all that God wants you to be. Rejection is a terrible thing. So what should we do when we're faced with it? And if you're not being faced with it, haven't been faced with it, you will be faced with it sooner or later. Should we ignore it and run from it? Sounds silly, but uh, should we try to suppress it like we do our other feelings and emotions and hurts that we feel? Or should we deal with it, hit it head on? Because that's what Jesus did. As we can see from our opening scripture, I don't think anyone was ever rejected more than Jesus himself. And yet he didn't run from rejection. He faced it head on. He walked into rejection. He found rejects and ministered to them. The Lord never rejected anyone, although he was rejected by everyone. I think that, you know, that's the best way that we should face any problem that we have. I truly believe that the best defense is a good offense. And I really believe, as the saying goes, that whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger. That's the truth. And no matter what we go through, whether God sends it as a test or a trial or the enemy causes it, or sometimes we cause things to happen in our lives ourselves because of our flesh, uh, but God will always use that situation to our advantage. He uses it to teach us life lessons, to strengthen us, to cause us to grow and make us a better person because of it. So no matter what it is or how hard it seems, remember this, that God is faithful and he will never allow anything beyond what you're able to handle. And when you get to that breaking point where you feel you can't handle anymore, he will make a way of escape for you. Amen. You remember last week I said, don't ever tell me you had enough and you can't handle no more. Because that's a lie from the pit of hell. You can handle it or God wouldn't have allowed it. Look at your neighbor and say, we can handle it. See, Jesus could identify with the rejected because he was rejected himself. Nobody can understand another person unless they walked in their shoes. You know, you can't understand a drug addict unless you've experienced drug addiction. You can't understand an alcoholic. You can read a book, but you can't really understand him until you feel what he's feeling and go through what he's going through. You know, you can't, hand, you can't uh, counsel somebody on marriage when you've been divorced three times yourself. If you don't experience a good marriage, you can't teach a good marriage. Amen. And it's that way with life. You know, you need somebody that's got some experience. Somebody that knows what they're talking about. It's not something they read and it's not something they heard. It's something they felt and lived through themselves. Amen. Hallelujah. But Jesus could identify with the rejected because no one has been rejected more than him. He was rejected by his own people, his family, his friends. And for a moment, even God. That's why I say nobody has ever experienced rejection like him because God has never rejected any of us. He never rejected anybody but his son. For a brief moment, he rejected him 
because of our sin and because of what we laid on him, God had to reject him, turn his back on him. So don't tell me you've been rejected worse than Jesus because you haven't. Our opening scripture said Jesus was rejected and treated as though he had leprosy. So I want to look at an account of 10 particular lepers, 10 rejects that Jesus ran across as he traveled through Galilee and Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. And one of the things I want to show you is how closely he identified with them, knowing exactly how they felt. How many knows we serve a God that can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities? Why? Because he experienced all of them. Everything that we go through, ever go through, ever will go through, he experienced personally, firsthand for himself. Every problem we've ever had, he experienced it. Every feeling, every pain that we ever had, he experienced it. So he can, he can be touched by our feelings, by our infirmities. He knows what we're going through. And, and uh, one, one of the things I want to show you is how closely he identified with these lepers, these rejects of society. I think we're all familiar with the story. You'll find it in Luke 17, starting at verse 11, and I'm going to read it in the King James. It says, And it came to pass, as Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, it doesn't tell us the name of the village, but as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, arise. Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Hallelujah. See, Jesus was passing through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, which is significant in itself because Samaria was considered the place of rejects because the Jews rejected the Samaritans and refused to have anything to do with them, although they were akin to the Jews. And there's a lot to talk about with racism today, but it's nothing new. Racism has been with us since the beginning of time. The Samaritans were rejected because they were a mixed breed. They were half-breeds. They were half-Jew and half-Assyrian. That's why I said they were akin to the Jews, but they rejected them. They also had a mixed religion of Jewish beliefs and that of the Eastern foreigners that they co-inhabited with and that they were mixed with. And at the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, the land of Samaria was situated between the regions of Galilee in the north and Judea on the south. How about a little history lesson this morning? Is that all right? The Jews traveling between Galilee and Judea would take the longer six-day journey 
along the Jordan River Valley rather than take the, the shorter uh, route through Samaria. The Jews rejected and uh, avoided the Samaritans because of their bitter history. They used to be Jews, and, and, and a long time ago the kingdom was split, and uh, they were in the southern king, kingdom, and they were a part of Judah. There was two tribes that split, and those tribes eventually uh, mixed with these Assyrians that conquered the land and took over, and they adapted part of their religion, and they had children with the Assyrians, and that's why they were considered a mixed breed. Jesus' hometown of Nazareth was located in Galilee, and that is where he was rejected as a prophet and a minister by his family, his friends, and his neighbors. So Galilee, though, is important because it's where he chose 11 of his 12 disciples. Galilee is where he performed 25 of his 33 miracles, and Galilee is where he taught 19 of his 32 parables. This place of the rejects is where Jesus spent most of his time and did most of his teaching. Jesus had a special place in his heart for those that have been rejected. And he spent a lot of time in this area. Remember the woman who, who he spoke to at the well? That was in Samaria. It's nice to know that Jesus is willing to go to places and minister to people that everyone else has rejected. And Jesus will never reject a reject. And the Bible tells us that as he was passing through a certain village in the area of the rejects, he comes across ten people with leprosy. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When I said earlier, I read from Isaiah in the Amphite, it said that we treated him as though he had a leprosy. I want to show you the effects of leprosy. It's a terrible disease, and although it can be cured today, at, at that time it couldn't be cured. And lepers were the most rejected people of that day. They were living among the Samaritan rejects, and yet they were even rejected by them. And being rejected by anybody is bad enough, but when you're rejected by the rejects, that's really bad. But leprosy would cause the blood to stop flowing to the extremities, and they would turn white and literally die. Fingers, toes, ears, nose. And in the advanced stages, even hands and feet would just die, and rot, and sometimes fall off completely. It was like a malignant skin and tissue cancer in its advanced stages. And lepers had a miserable existence. It, they say that it wasn't a painful disease because the first thing that would die would be the nerves. So they didn't feel a whole lot of pain as they were rotting away. But still, it's terrible to watch your body parts rot and fall off. Amen? So in addition to the physical suffering of a leper, there was spiritual, mental, and emotional pain that we can't even begin to imagine. They were avoided and rejected, pushed aside, ignored, and forgotten by society. And in the eyes of society, a leper was considered to be unacceptable and unwelcomed. Has anyone in here ever felt that way this morning. They lived in colonies. They were ostracized from society. Now, you think this is far-fetched, but there is leper colonies today. And the, I know of some in, for, for a fact in China because we know a Chinese missionary, and he ministers to the lepers. Now, they're on the men. He, he brings them medical supplies 
to get them healed, but they're still ostracized because it's such a contagious disease. But it still exists today. If a case popped up today, we'd throw them in the hospital and give them the antibiotics they needed, and we'd get them healed. We wouldn't let it spread. But over in these third world countries, it's a little bit different. But when someone would come near to them, they were required by the law to cover their faces and cry, unclean, unclean, uh, telling you that you can't go near them. And anyone that touched them became unclean and had to be quarantined and go through a rigorous religious ceremony before they could be returned to the population. So nobody wanted any part of a leper. They couldn't be with their families. They couldn't be with their loved ones. They couldn't be with their friends. They couldn't feel the warmth of a hug or kiss of a loved one or sit down at a family meal. They were deprived of all the things that we take for granted. On one occasion, a lonely leper came to Jesus by himself, and he begged him on his knees, saying to him, If you are willing, I know you are able to make me clean. And being moved with compassion and sympathy, Jesus reached out his hand and did the unthinkable. He touched him. Something that was taboo. And I bet all his disciples said, <gasps> and Jesus assured him, he said, I am willing be made clean. And he healed that leper that day. He didn't have any regard for the law when it comes to human kindness. He didn't have any regard to the religious leaders that were watching him. He didn't have any regard as to what other people thought. He reached out and touched him, and he helped somebody that was in need. He helped uh, somebody that was rejected and untouchable. Thank God he's like that. Amen? He touched him. Can you imagine how that rejected lef leopard must have felt to feel the touch of another human being? It doesn't say how long he was a leper, but we should never underestimate the power of a touch. It's a powerful thing, whether it's a hug, a pat on the back, a hand on the shoulder, or just holding hands itself. We need to be touched. And these lepers were never touched. Touching is reassuring. It's comforting. It brings peace. It expresses love. It expresses that you care. And God placed within every human being an ability to send and receive emotional signals by touching. Pastor and I have done that plenty of times in hospitals. When there's nothing to say, grab their hand, put a hand on their shoulder, touch their leg. Don't say anything. Just touch them. And I'm telling you, we've seen them break down and begin to weep. Never said a word. Just touched them. They needed that touch. That touch was reassuring. It showed that we cared and it showed that we loved them. By touching, we can impart distinct emotions like love and gratitude and sympathy and comfort and peace. And the human touch, especially when it's anointed by God, is a powerful thing that can impart good things. That's why Jesus said, believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Why? Because that believer, he said a believer is going to impart something into that person like healing or deliverance or something that they need. And if that person can believe and receive it, it'll happen in them. A touch is a powerful thing. And, you know, if a believer or a human being can impart something like that through a touch, how much more so uh, would God's touch be to somebody? He can't be here to physically touch you, 
but he can anoint an individual, not just a pastor, not just one of the five-fold ministers, but a believer like yourself. He can anoint you to touch somebody as, as in his place as proxy for him. And you can transfer what he wants to transfer into that person. Nothing can compare to that. The touch is a point of contact that we all use to tell somebody we care. And you see that here in this example of Jesus touching this leper. More than just a healing touch, it was a touch that told that leper that he was cared for, that somebody loved him, that somebody wanted to help him, something he never felt the whole time that he was a leper. It's about a human being that nobody ever touched as long as he was a leper. And think about it. For years, this man hadn't felt the firm handshake of a friend, a hug from a loved one, the kiss of a child, or the embrace of his or her spouse. And yet Jesus defied all the cultural taboos. And he reached out and touched him and healed him. And he didn't have to touch him to heal him. And this is my whole point here. Jesus would just command the word. He would speak the word and people would be healed, even in other towns and far places. He didn't have to touch him. But Jesus knew that he needed a touch. Jesus could have just said, be healed, and went on his way. But that wouldn't have did anything for his emotional stability, his emotional estate. So Jesus touched him. And that touch meant more at the time than even this healing. Oh, I'm sure he was glad he got healed. I'm sure he's glad he was cleansed. But that touch was more important than anything else to that poor leper. I mean, he even healed the ten from afar off. He didn't lay hands on any of them. And there's a lot of examples in the New Testament where Jesus imparted into people healing and deliverance from a distance. You know, the, the, the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. He didn't go lay hands on her. Uh, she got healed from a distance. The centurion's servant, he got healed from a distance. Uh, what's the uh, synagogue leader's name? Brother Darrell, help me out here. The one that he was healing the woman with the issue of blood. And this guy comes along. And, and wants him to heal his daughter. Jairus, there you go, thank you. Uh, he healed Jairus' daughter from a distance. You know, he didn't have to touch anybody to heal him, but he touched this man. But anyway, let's go back to the Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. And it seems like this leprosy, the thing they had in common, caused them to overcome their hatred and their feelings towards each other, and band together, because there were Jews and Samaritans in this group of ten. I don't know how many Jews, I don't know how many Samaritans, I know at least one Samaritan was in this group. One mixed breed was in this group. And it seems that we gravitate towards people that have something in common with us. Even when we don't like them, we'll gather together because we have something in common. You know, misery loves company. Birds of a feather flock together. Nerds hang with nerds, jocks with jocks, bad girls with bad girls, sinners hang with sinners. It just seems like we gravitate to those that we have something in common with. That's why we have gangs. When you join a gang, it's because you have something in common with them. And, and more than anything else, it's probably because you were rejected just like they were rejected. And so you have something in common. So you better watch who you're hanging with. It might be a sign. Let's look at our story a little closer to see what we can glean. Let's look at Luke 17, 11 again. 
It came to pass as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. He went to the place of the rejects and then just skirt along the outer edges of it. He went right through the midst of it. And he did it more than once. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Now that's significant because one of the first signs of a person that feels rejected is that they keep their distance from everyone else. They stand afar off. But these are exactly the kind of people that God likes to connect with. I've noticed that throughout the Bible, God likes to connect with those that are far off, those that are standing by themselves, those that have been rejected by other people. God connects with them. So I'm going to tell you something that's not going to sound right, but you should be praising God if you've been rejected by man because that means that God has his eye on you and he's going to do something with you. He wants to connect with you. These are the kind of people God likes to use. And I'm going to give you some examples. And it seems to me that God takes a special interest in those that have been rejected by others, and he anoints them for great things. If you've been rejected, you're in good company because Moses was rejected. He was rejected by first his people and then by the Egyptians. And he had to run to the backside of the desert for 40 years and hide because they all wanted to kill him. That's a reject. Uh, Jacob was rejected. You remember uh, his father and his brother Esau rejected him. Joseph was rejected by his 12 brothers or 11 brothers. Samson, Noah, Gideon, Jeremiah, Elijah, along with all the other prophets, they were all rejected and God used them greatly. There was Stephen, the martyr, the first martyr of the church. Paul, all 12 disciples were rejected. And as I said earlier, Jesus himself suffered rejection. And they, the Bible says, the lepers, lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They didn't say heal us. They didn't say touch us. They didn't say pray for us. They said have mercy on us. And the Bible indicates that it was a loud voice. They lifted up their voices. Not one, not two. They, they lifted their voices in unity. It was like corporate prayer. They was all praying the same thing at the same time. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And sometimes a quiet, reserved, pious, head-bowed religious prayer just doesn't get the job done. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a quiet prayer. But when it doesn't get the job done, then you need to lift your voice. You need to find a prayer partner, somebody that will pray with you in unity. And if any two on earth touch anything that they ask, you need to lift your voices together and pray out loud. And you know, sometimes you have to do it a little crazy. You just have to get a little crazy sometimes. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And maybe the answers to your prayers have been delayed because you haven't been bold enough. You know, we got that story about the, the, the woman that went to the judge at night and she just kept nagging him until he gave her what she needed. And he said, I don't even believe in God, but just to get rid of this woman, I'll give her what she needs. And, and I, that's not how we treat God or look at God. But there's an example there that tells us, keep going until he gives you what you need. 
Don't just pray one little prayer. And one thing about these nine lepers is they recognized Jesus as master. They said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. How many of us recognize him as master this morning? Is he master to you or is he just Jesus? There's a big difference. I know he's savior when you need saving. I know he's Jesus to deliver when you need to be set free. He's Jesus the healer when you're sick. He's Jesus the provider when you're broke. He's Jesus the protector when you're about to get yourself in trouble. I know he's Jesus the way maker when your back's against the wall, but is he master? Is he master when he wants something from you? <laughs> I'm just going to go on and get in trouble this morning. I don't care. <laughs> Have you made a master over your life or is he just Jesus when you need something? That's why I say there's a big difference. They cried, Master, have mercy on us. And mercy is what you ask for when you don't want to get what you deserve. Mercy is what you ask for when you don't have a prayer to pray. You don't know what to ask. You know you're guilty, and you know that you don't have a leg to stand on, so you cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me. I know I don't, I don't have a legal standing. I know I don't have a prayer. I did it. I'm guilty. Have mercy on us. Thank God for mercies. And thank God mercies are fresh every morning. New mercies every day. Not a, not a used mercy from last year. Not a used mercy from a past experience. But a fresh mercy. New every morning. And he gives us fresh mercies new every morning because we need them every morning. Hallelujah. Mercy is what opened your eyes this morning. Mercy is what kept you safe last night. Mercy is what kept you from getting that terrible disease. Mercy is what kept you from getting T-boned in that intersection on the way to the church this morning. And mercy is what keeps you from getting run over when you're opening trailer doors at work, Patty Way. <coughs> Hallelujah. And the Bible says that God is full of loving kindness and tender mercies. Not just mercies, tender mercies. The leper said with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And their loud voice crying for mercy is what got Jesus to notice them. And verse 14, when he saw them. See, you think you're alone. You think nobody notices you when you're hurting. You think nobody notices you when you're suffering and you're going through something. You think nobody notices you when you're sick and nobody cares about you. But he sees you. And when nobody else knows, notices you, if you'll cry out for mercy, he'll see you. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Not immediately, as they went. You know how many people lose their healing because it didn't happen when they thought it should happen? Because it didn't happen as soon as the pastor laid hands on them? How many people have lost their healing when they just obey the word and go, and as they go, they be healed? All healings ain't instantaneous. We know that. We taught you that in this church. Sometimes they're instant. Sometimes they, they uh, come in the process of time. Uh, 
as you go your way, there's all kinds of ways to get healed. How many people lose their healing because it didn't happen as soon as they wanted it to happen? Besides, the law stated that after you're cleansed, after you've been healed, you're supposed to go show yourself to the priest. Not while you still got leprosy. They'll stone you. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. How many knows that took a little faith? See, it's after you clean your act up, go to the priest. After you stop your sinning, then go to the church house. Then go show yourself to the pastor. After you stop doing all the crazy stuff that you're doing, then go to the church. Then go to the pastor. After you clean up your life. That's what religion would have you believe. But Jesus says go before you're healed. Go before you're delivered, before you straighten out your messed up life, before you stop sinning, before you stop using drugs, before you stop drinking, before you stop looking at porn, before you stop going to the honky-tonks and bars. Go now, before, and as you go, your life will get cleaned up, your life will be changed. Jesus takes you just the way you are, hallelujah. Uh, But the religious leaders, we don't want no part of you till after you're cleansed. And on your way, as you're going to church, as you're hearing the word being preached by the pastor, as you're committing to Jesus as your master, as you're doing what the word tells you to do, go. And as you're going, all these things will happen to you. Here a little, there a little, a little bit at a time. You didn't get messed up overnight. You're not going to get straightened out overnight. And God understands that. That's why he says, go. And as you're going... As you're walking out your will, the will of God for your life, all these things will come in line for you. Don't wait till you're clean. Don't wait till you're healed. Don't wait till you stop sinning because you'll never go to church. Go. And as you're going. In verse 15, I like this. He says, and one of them, say one. One of them. When he saw that he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Are you starting to get the, the, the understanding that God is not a nervous person? That you don't have to be quiet all the time? That you can shout once in a while, you can run, you can dance, you can jump? God is not going to get nervous. He's used to that. Do you know what it's like in heaven? People that died of a stinking disease and suffered for a long time, you think they're sitting quiet up in the corner in heaven? They're dancing all over the hills of glory. One of them turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan, a mixed breed, a half breed. Wasn't even a Jew. Didn't even believe in the Jewish religion. Wasn't even saved. And he turned back and gave Jesus praise. And when he saw that he was healed, he praised Jesus with a loud voice. I don't know what he was thinking as he turned to go, but I know one thing he was doing. He was looking. He was checking. He was believing. He was wanting that healing. And as soon as this showed up, as soon as he seen it, he stopped. He turned around and he went back and he gave glory to God and he praised him and thanked him for the healing. The Samaritan did that. Hallelujah. 
I mean, he had to be looking because how, how did he know when he was healed if he wasn't looking? When he saw, hallelujah. Sometimes we're just too quiet and reserved when it comes to the things that God has done for us. We just go through life taking God for granted. And don't think you don't. We ain't nearly as grateful as we should be. See, I dare you to thank God for something that he's done lately and then thank him with a loud voice. I dare you to do that. The Bible says that this leper was a Samaritan. He wasn't even saved, didn't go to church, and as far as I know, he didn't even know Jesus. Maybe when the Jews recognized Jesus, he started shouting with him. I don't know. Maybe there was five Samaritans. The Bible doesn't say. But I know this one Samaritan is the one that gave him praise for his healing. Verse 17, Jesus answering, he says, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where are they? Look at your neighbor and say, I pray you're not one of the nine. Look at your other neighbor and say, I hope you're the one that turned back. <laughs> See, there just ain't enough people thanking God for the good things that he's done. We don't recognize the things that he's done. We don't realize his tender mercies have been operating in our lives every day, all day. We don't realize that the only reason that bad thing didn't happen to you is because of mercy. There's no other explanation for it. Well, I, I was in the wrong place at the right time. No, no. You got mercy. You got mercy. I don't care where you were at, who you were with, what was going on. You got mercy. It's mercy that you weren't in that Walmart when the guy shouted up. It's mercy when you weren't in the church when that guy shouted up. Mercy. We got to recognize when mercy is at work for us. And there's not enough people thanking God for the good things that he does. If they do work up a thank you, hallelujah, it's, it's not with a loud voice. I thank you, hallelujah. I missed that one by hair. Is it a loud voice or is, are you ashamed of your testimony? Are you ashamed to be a witness? Are you ashamed to glorify God? The nine lepers kept walking and he went back. He didn't care what they thought. He didn't care that they didn't uh, thank God for their healing. He knew what he was going to do. He went back and he thanked God for his healing. We need to be more thankful. There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. Jesus called him a stranger. And let me tell you something. If it ever gets to the place where a stranger recognizes and praises God for his goodness before we do, then we could just leave our Bibles on the pews, go lock that door from the outside, and just keep on walking. Amen. Before a rock cries out, we should just close the door of this church because we ain't learning nothing. We need to learn to praise God for his goodness. And God is always good. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there's hardly a day goes. I'm not going to say I thank God every day because I'm sure I miss a day or two. But there's hardly a day that goes by where I don't thank God and praise him for his goodness in my life. God has been really good to me. You look at my family tree with all the flakes and nuts in it and all the things that happened to them. It has to be God's mercy. It has to be God's goodness towards me. I'm not anything special. He's just been good to me. 
I don't know why. I ain't been good to him. But yet he's been good to me. He's been good to you. He'll continue to be good to you. Even when you're not good to him, he'll be good to you. And when he is, you ought to recognize him. You ought to thank him and you ought to praise him for it. Hallelujah. And you ought to do it with a loud voice. Your neighbors ought to hear you praising God. Hallelujah. I remember one time I'd get frustrated. I'd go out in my back. I call it the back 40. I got two and a half acres, but I call it the back 40. I'd go out behind the house, behind this line of trees and bushes, and I'd just holler, frustrated, and I'd holler and, and, and get something out of my system, get something off my chest. But if I would have hollered like that because I was praising him, I would have never had to go out there and pray and, and, and holler because I was under pressure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, it had to take faith for him to do what he did. Yes. It, had to it had to take faith, just like the nine others. They all had to have faith to turn and go. Yeah. But it took real faith to turn around and go back to the master and, and kneel at his feet and praise him and thank him in person. It had to take real faith for that. And Jesus said, as a result of what you did, you would be made whole. Yes. I thought they were all made whole. No, they were all healed and cleansed. Only this man, this one Samaritan, the stranger, the one who turned back, the one who thanked him and praised him, he was the only one that was made whole. Yes. What does that mean? Woo. Glory. Being made whole means... Healed physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. If he lost any members to, to the disease, like his fingers, his toes, his ear, his nose, they were restored. He was made whole physically. He was made whole spiritually because Jesus saved him that day. He was healed mentally and emotionally because those years he spent in isolation took a toll on him. And every realm of his soul, every realm of his being was affected by that isolation. Emotionally, he was healed of the pain of rejection. He was restored and made whole again as if he never even had the disease. Jesus probably wiped out all the bad memories and everything else. Every hurt, every pain, every emotion he ever felt. All the times that he missed a hug of his children and a kiss from his wife, the warmth hug of somebody, all that was wiped out of his mind and he was made whole. Hallelujah. The others were only healed or cleansed. Do you want to just get healed or you want to be made whole? Is he Jesus your healer or is he Jesus master your healer? See, Jesus will heal an ungrateful leper. He healed nine of them. All ungrateful. But if you want to be made whole, you better make him your master. He yes. better be your master. He better be number one. Amen. We need to learn how to be thankful and praise God for his goodness. Yes. We need to recognize God's goodness and then praise him and thank him for it. Amen. In a loud voice. Don't be timid about it. Praise him like you do that football out in the stadium. I ain't never seen a quiet stadium. I've seen stadiums where they had to literally uh, stop the game for a few minutes because the, the players couldn't even hear the coach telling them what play to make. Yes. That's the way the church should be. Amen. 
What would you say? I can't hear you. Everybody's praising God too loud. Yeah. When have you heard that? Never. In a loud voice. You know, and... and <clears throat> Brother Darrell and Miss Shannon and Ethan and Patty Wack, our praise and worship team, they come up here every Sunday morning, and they're supposed to lead you into praise, lead you into worship. Yes. Prepare your spirits to receive the word of God. Yes. But it seems like, not every time, but it seems like most mornings, they have to drag you <laughs> into the presence of God. They got to pump you up. You come in here down, tried and rejected, depressed, uh, disgusted, discouraged and everything. So they got to pump you up in order to get you halfway close to receiving the word in your spirit. They, they're trying to get your spirit open. And sometimes it takes a crowbar, a, a, a slam-a-jamma thing that the firemen use to open locked doors and stuff. I mean, that's the way it is sometimes. It shouldn't be that way. We should be praising God so loud they can't hear the music. Amen. Amen. Yes. We ought to come in here with a praise and a dance in our step. Not have to be pumped up. Not have to be dragged into the presence of God. It's like we don't want to go. We like grip the seat in front of us and say, move me if you can. <laughs> I had a bad week. I, ain't, I don't feel like praising him. Give me a break. You wait till next time your back's up against the wall. I bet you'll praise him then. And Jesus, your way maker, might not work for you. It might have to be Jesus, master, the way maker, before you get him to move for you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Play, play something soft, Brother Joe. Now, I'm going to say something bold right now. I want to pray for the rejects this morning. Anybody in this place that's ever been rejected? Anybody in this place that has been affected by being rejected? And you're still carrying the pain with you. You're still carrying the hurts of rejection because I felt rejection. It's a painful thing. That's why I said it's, it it's hurts more than to... It hurts more than any other feeling I can think of. Rejection. If my wife rejected me, it would almost kill me. It would take me some real praying to recover from that. Because rejection hurts. And I know there's people in here this morning that's been rejected and God told me to touch you. Yes. Touch you. Yes. Nothing in me. There's no magic in me. But if God told me to touch you, then that means he wants to move through me and he's going to set you free this morning. So if you've been rejected, I want you to be bold enough to admit it. And I want you to come up here and we'll pray for you right up here in front of this church. I'm going to give you a few minutes. I know I'm right. It happens to everybody. Big, strong men and little, tiny women. It happens to everybody. Rejection is a terrible thing. And anybody that thinks that rejection doesn't hurt, we're going to cast lying devils out of you when we're done praying here. Rejection hurts, and it has an effect. <clears throat> 
Hallelujah. I'm, I'm just going to say one thing. I'm going to let you go. Rejection is an enemy of the cross. Yes, it is. And rejection is something that the enemy uses to his advantage. Yes. And one of the reasons that you're not the powerful witness and the, the, the powerful uh, preacher of God's word is because you feel like you'll be rejected. <laughs> that the person you give the word to, the person, person you share Jesus with, is going to reject you. Yes. And that will keep you from even sharing him. Yes, it will, it will, it, re, the feeling of being rejected keeps people uh, from even showing themselves as a Christian. It will cause them to stand off in the corner and be quiet. And if they don't know I'm a Christian, they won't persecute me Hallelujah. and they won't reject me. Yes. And right now, you know, this country is split about right down the middle. Half of this country... And I pray it never gets to more than half or we're going to be in trouble. But at least half of this country rejects you and rejects your God and rejects the way that you believe. That's no time for us to hide. That's Amen. time for us to get bold. Yes. Get over these feelings of rejection. Yes. Who cares That's right. if somebody doesn't like me? Amen. As long as I'm approved of God, that's yes. all the pr- approval I need. That's all the affirmation I need. Yes. We need to get our boldness back. Yes. And if rejection is a reason, is the thing that held you back, yes. no more. No more. Hallelujah. Who cares if they reject you? Besides that, they ain't rejecting you. They're rejecting your God. That's They're rejecting right. Jesus. Yes. They're not rejecting you. Don't take it personally. That's right. Just go on to the next person. Yes. God's got somebody that he wants you to reach. Yes. Yes. And yes. rejection will keep you from reaching. The yes. feeling of being rejected or the fear of being rejected will keep you from reaching them. So this is something we need to get over. We need to get it behind us, get it past us. Don't worry about rejection. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.